Competitive action has restarted on the football fields of Austria and that can only mean one thing, yes, the other Bundesliga is back. Ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome back to the other Bundesliga podcast. It feels like it hasn't been all that long since the last season finished, but um, it's been a long time since we've recorded in a way as well. We were there at the last games of the last season and now uh, through a busy summer, we're back around the table with our microphones once again. It's great to be back. My name's Tom Midler. I've got Lee Wingate with me. I've got Simon Clark with me. Gentlemen, what have you been up to in this, uh, in this short summer break? Has it felt like a short one to you or a long one? I think it's felt a little bit like the return of football was only just around the corner. It doesn't seem all that long ago since we were witnessing the pitch invasion following uh, Altac's survival in the, in the Bundesliga, that, that lovely summer trip to Vorarlberg, or, or late spring, should I say. Uh, it's good to have it back, and uh, we'll, I've still been using some of the, the past couple of weeks to, to fill my time with Austrian football-related activities. I did a nice interview with Rasmus Hoyland, the Danish striker at Sturm Graz for the Bundesliga Journal, and a club profile on Hartberg as well. So if anybody wants to find out some more information about the only football club in Europe with a sperm on their shirt, then go to <laughs> bundesliga.at and you can, you can see the full profile there. Can you actually verify that though? I know sperm is not uh, particularly common on football shirts. We know Hartberg do have one, but you know, by process of elimination, are there no other clubs guaranteed with that on there? I can't guarantee it no time actually so you know you have found a a bit bit of a hole in my statement but there are I think 730 something top flight football clubs in Europe and I'd be very surprised if another one had a sperm on the front right in if any if any of you know that your club has a sperm on the front I mean not personally you know if if, don't don't send us pictures of your old and dirty shirts but if your club has an advert (laughs) on it (laughs) we've set the tone early on Ah, great way to start welcome back everybody Simon quickly moving on what have you been up to I took a little break from football, which, as you know, for me is very hard. It didn't last that long because when, when I was in Sweden, I saw Hammerby versus Hacken, which was at the time at the top of the table clash. I saw a wonderful 2-2 draw. So my summer break was actually about a week. <laughs> and since then, I've just been enjoying the, the, the Women's Euros, which I know we're going to talk about. And yeah, it's been uh, quite a short summer. Uh, the world of football never ends, it seems. And here we are. It's the, the, the middle of July. When the season ended, we went to FC Pinsgau. And then there was one week end after that as well. So that was June 11th. And I believe Lask, Lask's first friendly back was the 18th of June. So technically, there was a one week. Well, I mean, a four, five day break between the end of the regional league season and then the Bundesliga teams getting back into pre-season. That is mad. So many friendlies in Austria as well this summer. That reminds me of that year uh, after the 2018 World Cup when we watched France versus Croatia on I think the 10th or the 11th of July. And then five days later, where were we for that? That's FC Stadlau. Yeah, FC Stadlau for the, for the OFB Cup first round. And that was literally a five-day break. So I guess it's nothing new with the season starting so early in Austria. And of course, because of the Winter World Cup, everything's being pushed back or forwards, depending on which, which way you look at it this season as well. Yeah, it's especially crazy this year. And it's going to carry on that way, isn't it? It's going to be incredibly compacted, the fixture list with European qualifiers, with Bundesliga games, with European matches. It's going to be... Uh, Games coming thick and fast between now and the break for the World Cup. Um, 
I've got a bit of a throat on at the moment, as you might be able to hear. If, I, if my voice uh, breaks off or, or drops to a, a lower octave today, it's because we've been out actually celebrating this weekend. Uh, two of our friends got married in the vineyards just uh, north of Vienna, and we had a great weekend. But after, you know, blaring out songs on the dance floor all night long in the fields of Stammersdorf, my throat is still, a bit, uh, is still feeling it. Have you guys recovered all right? Uh, I'm not too bad. I think just, uh, well, let's give them a personal shout out because James does listen to the other Bundesliga. So James and Sarah, many congratulations on your wedding. What a fantastic day it was. Yeah, so great to be there. Congratulations, guys. And uh, if you're a close follower of the other Bundesliga Twitter page, you might have seen James from our trip to St. Poulton, Hartberg at the end of last season. His, uh, his thoughts on the game were, were broadcast <laughs> on our Twitter page. But uh, congratulations, James. Actually, I sort of took him away with some of his friends for a bit of a pre-wedding treat because the day before the wedding, it was Newcastle versus 1860 Munich in South Eldon. And he's a massive Newcastle fan. You know, these friendlies in Austria, they're so close. We were just there uh, standing behind the boards and, and, you know, literally one and a half metres away, the Newcastle players, uh, they changed all their squad, so it was sort of the first team as well. And uh, yeah, the Newcastle players are right there and you could get some signatures, get some photos with them. Had a great time in South Eldon. Weather forecast was completely wrong and it ended up being beautiful sunshine. I love these winter, uh, summer friendly, sorry, in Austria. It's so nice, you know, you really do get a chance to see the teams up close in very spectacular surroundings. And as much as we love the Premier League and the Bundesliga and stuff, it's so different being able to see them in these regional league pitches. It's, it's a very uh, surreal experience. So I do recommend... There's still some coming up this summer, but if you see friendlies in the future in Austria in summer, if you're listening to this abroad, you know, wherever you are around the world, if your team's playing in Austria, it might well be worth uh, the trip over to see them because you just get so close to them. Yeah, I know that this year you have um, Liverpool again in, in the Salzburg region and they played Rebel Salzburg in a friendly and also Southampton, I believe this evening, are playing Austria Klagenfurt in a friendly. So uh, a few Premier League teams have come over to Austria this season as well. Yes, indeed. And Newcastle, of course, were better as well. <laughs> yeah, it was a good game in the end. Newcastle 3, 18-16-0. I enjoyed that. That was my last game. Uh, my next game, though, I've been covering a lot of women's Euro stuff. We mentioned that earlier. Let's check in with the women's Euros at the beginning of this pod because... It's not often that we get to lead with women's football stuff, but the women's Euros have been not only brilliant, they've already surpassed the Zuschauer record. So the, um, the, the German words sprung into my mind first there, but the total attendance for the competition has already outweighed any other previous women's Euros. And there's still 15 games as of the time of recording yet to be played. So that's absolutely brilliant. Already about a quarter of a million fans have been in the stadiums and we've got loads to go. I mean, watched one of the games the other day. It was like, 23,000 fans for the Netherlands against Switzerland at, at Bramall Lane. Amazing stuff. And Austria, of course, opening in front of almost 70,000 at Old Trafford. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I think this is a development that was sort of kick-started a bit by the 2019 World Cup in France. And it feels like uh, ever since then, it's just been growing and growing. But amazing to see uh, that immense turnout at Old Trafford for the opening night. And, of course, with an Austrian twist, because Austria were involved in that game, taking on the hosts. And I think our loyalties were a little bit split that night, weren't they? Yeah, you saw the picture of us in England shirts and Austria shirts, but I was definitely torn, you know. Sort of my dream result was actually England to win 1-0, both teams to go through, based on the fact that Austria didn't get hammered by England, and therefore their goal difference would be better. So it worked out perfectly for me. Group A has finished now, and it's exactly what I wanted. England have gone through, Austria have gone through as well. But the sensation, really is Austria. What an effort from Irina Furman's team. I've been covering them quite closely because I've been doing a lot of reports for the radio over here on the, on the women's team. And I just think they played that group stage to absolute perfection. They were not overawed in the first game. They weren't expected to beat England, but they gave as good a challenge as they could get. You know, they played their percentages. They've been brilliant throughout the group stage at winning the ball back, 
Sarah Zadrazil, Sarah Puntigam in midfield have just been absolutely fantastic uh, winning the ball back. Turning that into shooting chances has been quite difficult. That was the case against England, as you'd expect. It was also difficult against Northern Ireland, who were a very, very well-organised team. But they stayed calm. They got the early goal from the set piece. They got a really good goal at the end. Won that game 2-0. Did what they needed to do. Got it into the final against Norway. Now, remember, Norway, 11th in the world, 10 places higher than Austria. Some of the best players in the world, Carolina Graham Hansen, Ada Hegerberg, and many more. This is a team who were low on confidence after getting hammered 8-0. But still... Austria were the outsiders, make no mistake. The 8-0, I think, switched the perspective for a lot of people and people thought Austria were the favourites. It's just not the case. Norway, uh, they're like previous World Cup winners, previous Euros winners, previous Olympic gold medalists. They're a completely different calibre of team to Austria. And I thought Austria just outplayed them on the night. I don't think really you can understate the uh, psychological impact that that defeat will have had for Norway because for sure they do have some superstars and on paper... They are a very strong team. But I, it kind of reminded me watching that England 8 Norway nil game in, uh, at a beer festival in Vienna, by the way, the, the Ottak Ringer Brewery, which is a, a great place to, to watch the women's Euros. But it kind of reminded me of the, of the Brazil-Germany game at the 2014 World Cup in terms of scale. Obviously not in quite as big a game. It's not a World Cup semi-final. But I just felt that Norway weren't really going to recover from that. And I felt that gave Austria, who were so solid. That's really what I think of when I think of the Austria women's team. Solid at the back and they'll get a goal if they can. Um, it just gave them that edge going into the final group game. And they, you know, they did well to see it through. Yeah, and of course, Austria's next uh, test is going to be against Germany in the quarterfinal. Germany, one of the best teams in the world. A real, real tough ask for Austria. But you have to feel this is a team that, you know, they've already achieved their expectation. I think getting to knockout stages and beating Norway uh, is definitely what they would have wanted before the tournament. But I just hope from a, from a, uh, like a public standpoint, after 2017, I remember being there at Rathaus Platz with like 30,000 people watching the semi-final. And from there, there wasn't really a public relations push for women's football in Austria. And I really feel like this time with such like charismatic players, such fun, young, charismatic players, that this time the Austrian Federation can like kickstart the involvement of Austrian women in football because before the tournament, something like 7% of, of registered players in Austria are female. And that's so low. In England, it's around 35, 40%. And uh, I hope that this tournament can inspire young women and get them into the game because the Austria women's team are fantastic. Yeah, I was speaking with the OFB just before. I did some interviews with the, the women's team just before the Euros, so I'm really, really happy to see them doing so well. But speaking to the OFB, they said there's a, around about 10,000 registered young girls to, to senior professional women, 10,000 altogether. That's just such a small number. So it is growing very slowly here. You mentioned 2017, amazing. You know, the debut, getting to the semi-final. That it hasn't pushed on since then. But what's strange is the 2017 squad, the core of that squad, the names, they're still here mostly in the 2022 squad. It's, it's a very similar crux of the team. And so there's personalities that are sort of enduring there. There's players that people know. It's just, you don't see the names Adrazil that much. You know, she's playing at Bayern Munich. You don't see her, her shirts being worn around. You know, if you go to the, the beer festival and watch the games where it's brilliant and the atmosphere is lovely, there's not many people there with Austria women's shirts or anything. And I think... It's something which I'd really like to see in the future. And my big hope for Euro 2022 was that it would sort of stimulate that kind of growth again, because like you say, it didn't quite catch on after 2017. Maybe that's fair enough. It was the first time they sort of burst into the scene. Um, now they're back again and they're doing it again. You know, they're here at the big tournaments, getting the wins in the big games. And I just think 
we've always said about Irina Furman's team, they're, maxim- they're sort of maximising their potential, basically. They don't have the best crop of players in the world, but now they're in the final eight in Europe, which is, you know, definitely punching above their weight. They just do everything. I feel like every single group game went exactly the way they would have wanted to, except, you know, obviously they lost 1-0 to England because you don't want that. But it's those kind of games where they could have got a draw against England. It, it may be 25% of the time they would have. They were only 1-0 down. They didn't, um, they didn't sort of fall into any traps. They didn't capitulate as we saw Norway capitulate. They stuck in it and they could have got a draw. Maybe even, you know, in a freak result, they could have got a win. If England hadn't got that goal, which they, they got by a centimetre going over the line, you know, Austria could have done it. So I feel like they've absolutely maximised it. And the quality of the goal, I just want to touch on this, the quality of the goal against Norway was absolutely top draw. Hanshaw, fantastic ball in. Nicole Biller had so much to do. She's never scored at a Euros either. And for a prolific centre forward, that's a bit of a, a weight on her back. And the, the way she took that header was just, it, you know, it's like dream stuff. So I'm really proud of the women's team and I hope, you know, long may it continue. I just want to go back to the, the other end of the pitch and that goal that you mentioned that they conceded against uh, England, which was uh, Beth Mead's lob over Manuela Zinsberger that only just crossed the line and was given by, by goal line technology. But that's, that's the only goal that Austria have conceded at this tournament uh, at the time of recording. Um, only Germany and England have conceded fewer, i.e. no goals. And I think I just want to give a shout out to, to some of the defenders because it is the less glamorous part of the pitch. But nonetheless, Karina Wenninger and Victoria Schneiderbeck at the back, I think, have been a really strong central defensive partnership. Zinsberger in goal made a brilliant save in one of the games. I was re-watching the highlights earlier. It may have been the England game to, to deny a second goal. I just think those guys are doing a great job at the back. And for as long as they have that solid core you wouldn't bet against them to, to get a result against Germany, though it would be a surprise. It certainly would be. But, you know, at this point with Austria, who knows? They reached the semis last time. That was a shock. I, I wouldn't want to be Germany. You know, it's, it's the draw we all wanted as well, isn't it? You know, Austria v Germany, we saw that that might happen. Now it's come true. We saw that the Norway sort of finale in the group stages might happen, and that came true as well. So th- th- something I really like about this team under Irina Furman as well is just that you can, you can sort, sort of see the cogs working. It's like in the game against Northern Ireland when suddenly they went from being outsiders to massive favourites. That's a different kind of pressure. She brought on players like uh, Julia Hickelsberger fuller and said, you know, do what you do best. Run down the wings, run at players, take people on. And then what do you see? Uh, not long into the game, Julia Hickelsberger fuller just um, runs, uh, runs past players, takes players on, wins a free kick. That leads to the opening goal. It's like the blocks all seem to add up with this Austria team. And I feel like that makes them really satisfying to watch. So I'm interested to see what they'll do against Germany. As you said earlier, Simon, the, the job is done already. You know, if they get something out of the Germany, Germany game, it's an absolute sensation. But at the moment, they had a difficult task in the group. It was like they would have been disappointed to go out in the group, yet getting through the group is a massive triumph. So there was no middle ground for them and they've ended up on the right side of it. So brilliant stuff. I noted as well, I put it on Twitter the other day, the goal from Nicole Biller has taken Austria's prize money to over 1 million for the tournament. And it just, I don't really have a solution to this, but it, it seems a bit weird to me because it probably costs the Austria team like a million euro just to run this euro. You know, they've got to take high performance athletes to England, set them up with a training camp, set them up with training places, set them up with their accommodation, get them in the position with the facilities that they need to perform well at the Euros, it's going to cost them a million euros or more to, to do that. So yeah, great, they've got a million euros in prize money, but it's like, it's not really sustainable for the women's game somehow, and I find that a bit weird. And then I looked at the men's team, and the men's team were awarded, or the UFB were awarded on behalf of the men's team, 1.5 million in prize money just for the win against North Macedonia at the Euros in Euro 2020. 
and they were awarded over nine million just for reaching the group stage as opposed to 600 grand that the women got for reaching the group stages i'm not saying i'm not naive enough to say that the two things should be exactly the same necessarily right now but it can't be that men's football is more than viable and has a huge amount of extra cash and then women's football is like unviable despite great performances something just doesn't add up there for me yeah, it's definitely not right. I think at the moment in some parts, there's a general acceptance that women's football is operating at a loss. I mean, if you look at club level and the the, was it the, the women's uh, Super League in England, I believe is, is the name, um, they you know have a lot of women's football departments that are genuinely like they're, they're not making a profit and they are funded essentially by, by other income or earnings. And uh, we need to change that really. Yeah, something can be done. But for now... The Women's Euro 2022 is doing a good job. It's putting Austria back on the map as well. And uh, yeah, really excited for the game against Germany and for England against um, Spain as well. Massive. It's going to be a very, very exciting end to the Women's Euros. But uh, I just wanted to touch on some of women's football news inside Austrian football as well. Um, it's been long rumoured that, that, that Rapid Vienna, who hadn't had a women's team uh, in their history, and now have kick-started a motion to, to finally, I mean, let's be honest, finally get a women's team. <laughs> which now means the only Bundesliga team not to have a women's team is Rebel Salzburg. And uh, I think this is a conversation we will probably have another time, but their lack of a women's team is a real... Um, uh, I mean, um, if they invested 1% one, 1 of the money they invest in their youth players in the men's game, you know, what kind of wonders would that do for Austrian women's football? Yeah, it certainly yeah. does put a bit of pressure on them. You know, it's going to be a little bit of time now between Rapid announcing that they're going to found a women's team until it actually happens and the, the women in green and white take to the pitch but it's something we're all really looking forward to and it can only be a good thing so at least signs are you know it's trending in a positive direction women's football in Austria for sure. Before we uh, complete our section on women's football I would just mention that we are of course in our in our podcast home the Long Hall uh, Pub and Kitchen in Vienna's 8th district uh, where in addition to delicious food and drinks you can also watch all of the women's Euros games uh, they are all being shown here on the big screen and in the garden as well so definitely do pop along. Let's just have a bit of music allow people to get a cup of tea sit down strap yourselves in because there's a lot of Bundesliga transfer talk to come as we look ahead to the new season in Austria. So, Simon, Lee, the Bundesliga is almost back. We've already had round one of the cup. We'll touch on that a bit later because there was a bit of cup drama and a bit of cup interest, at least uh, from the draw onwards. But um, looking to all things Bundesliga before that gets started, it has to be signings. We've had a short summer break, but nonetheless, a very busy summer break. I think a lot of the teams have been very active. Some of them have actually impressed me in how active they've been and how decisive they've acted in the transfer market, or how decisively they've acted, I suppose, in the transfer market. Um, let's start with Matthias Jessler and Red Bull Salzburg. Ins, outs, obviously they're going to be the dominant force in the market when we're talking about Austrian transfers, both in and out. But um, where do you want to start with that? Because, yeah, there are, there are interesting transfers on both sides of the market for Salzburg. Yeah, it's quite difficult to know where to start. Uh, I guess I'll start with, with, with the outgoings, uh, which if you're a Premier League fan, you'll know all about with uh, Brendan Aronson and Rasmus Christensen joining Jesse Marsh at Leeds United, the, the, the Jesse Marsh revolution. 
two big losses for Salzburg, I believe. Particularly Rasmus Christensen, who I think, by all of our um, opinions, was the best defender in the league last season. He's just a machine in the Austrian Bundesliga. He's, he's one of those cheat codes, wasn't he? You know, if you're playing so rare as well. He's not, he was an absolute cheat code. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of players who are pretty disappointed that Christensen's gone. Because it won't be quite so easy for him in the Premier League, you'd imagine. But he's the kind of player that I think will fit really well into the Premier League. Brendan Aronson, on the other hand, I'm very interested to see because um, he's playing in a team that you know will probably be in the bottom half of the table. Um, will he get the amount of freedom on the ball? And maybe under Jesse Marsh, that's the reason why he's been signed. But I'm very interested to, to see how, how that evolves uh, at Adam Road. And then, of course, the, the massive departure of Karim Adeyemi to Borussia Dortmund, uh, which um, takes away the joint top scorer in the Austrian Bundesliga from last season and takes him to the, to the German Bundesliga. Just on a financial note as well, um, these two transfers, Brendan Aronson for 32.84 million euro and Karim Adeyemi for 30 million, are record sales not only for Salzburg, but uh, naturally, of course, as well by any Austrian club. Um, and Rasmus Christensen went for around 13 million as well. So that's a lot of money coming in for them. Uh, I think probably close to, to 80 million euro this summer from, from player sales. So a uh, great job by Salzburg again. Well, Lee, I can tell you the facts. In total of all departures in the Austrian Bundesliga this summer, there's been 81 million in departures. Salzburg's departures count for 76 million of that. Wow. So it just shows the amount here yeah, compared to the rest of the league. It's not a surprise, but it's still a shock somehow. Even Salzburg, so we'll move on to the incomings in a minute, or now even. One of them is the striker Fernando from Shakhtar Donetsk, and he cost them six million, and the whole of the rest of the league together spent 5.05 million. So wow. I think as well, more context on the financial disparity. I think my favourite incoming player at Salzburg is Karim Konate, not only for his links to being the next Didier Drogba, as he's a striker from Cote d'Ivoire, but the fact that he came from ASEC Mimosas. What a team name. Come on. I mean, I'm sure he'll be sold to a Bundesliga or Premier League team in two years for 30 million euros. So I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about him. I touched before on the, those record sales as well, one for Salzburg, which is a record uh, signing for an Austrian club and for Salzburg, uh, is Luca Gonaduas. A, a bit of a mouthful for any commentator, Tom, so I hope you get to say his name plenty of times this season. Um, Can I just, uh, just jump in and interject there quickly? I actually will be commentating on Austrian Bundesliga in English this season. New contract. Austrian Bundesliga are going to be having some games, mainly for the Asian TV market. So especially if you're in Indonesia, I'm waving at you now, you will be able to hear me commentate on Austrian Bundesliga games in, uh, in English if you're in Asia. Anyway, back to Lucas Gornadua. Sorry. Well, he is a, a defensive midfielder that Salzburg has spent 13 million on, which is a lot for Austrian standards. We've seen, I think previously, Noah Okafor from from. Basel that he joined for around 11 million euro but I think maybe this is a sign that they're realizing that their their model of signing cheap players and developing them is working so they can afford to spend a little bit more especially when you you take into account those sales figures as well so yeah Salzburg pushing the boat out a bit on this one maybe a little bit of a uh, um, a risk but he seems to be highly rated in Liga. I heard a lot of people who are very very excited about this transfer they're almost they're counting this as a kind of Salzburg swooping for like a big hot property you know they're not often they go for undiscovered I know he's only 18 so in a sense he's still undiscovered but anyone if you're in Saint-Étienne or in the, you know if you're a Ligue 1 fan he's not undiscovered this guy has been like dominating games against Paris Saint-Germain earning praise in the French League for like consistent good performances the guy's 18 and he's got 61 league out apps 
to his name, you know. That's unbelievable for an 18-year-old. And, uh, yeah, it's exciting to see Salzburg bring in talent already, you know, sort of developing talent like that. And uh, who knows where it'll go from here. But with, with players like Mohamed Kamara on the way out, he's, he's a natural replacement, isn't he? Yeah, I was going to mention the fact he seems like a, like a ready-made replacement for Mohamed Kamara, who um, hasn't joined Leeds yet, but is heavily rumoured to be joining Leeds. Again, probably for a very high fee. Um, so that total we told you earlier... If we come back next week, we'll, we'll update you on that total. <laughs> I can't believe that move hasn't, hasn't actually happened yet. It seems like it's been teetering on the brink for so long. Moving down the league table, second place last year was Sturm Graz. Obviously, their ins and outs have been dwarfed by what happened at Salzburg. Just touching on them quickly, I like the fact that they've brought in Vessel Dimaku on a free transfer from Austria-Vienna, a 22-year-old defensive midfielder. Um, another young player who Austria-Vienna have let go on a free transfer um, so I'm sort of expecting a lot from him because they've let go some very good players in the past. You know, Manpreet Zakaria must torment Austria-Vienna fans a little bit at Sturm Graz, but he's not the only one. And now uh, Vessel Dimaku, who I'd say didn't impress me as much as, for example, Zakaria, but still uh, expecting good things from him uh, moving across from, uh, from Vienna on a free. And uh, one of the only sort of significant purchases they made really was uh, Tommy Horvat from NS Mura in Slovenia. So young Slovenian midfielder coming in for around about half a million euros. And uh, fans of Tottenham Hotspur will remember him because he scored against them in the uh, Europa Conference League in that game where, where they lost. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a man with, with some European experience, which they're going to need um, very shortly. Yeah, big time. Looking forward to their European group stage campaign. And we'll touch on Europe a bit later on in the pod as well. Outgoings at Sturm, just Andreas Quinn and Lu- Lucas Jäger, uh, the ones that stand out to me. Lucas Jäger's gone to Altac. Uh, defensive midfielder moving to Altac and Kuen, who I thought was quite a dangerous left midfielder, former Mattersburg player. He's gone to Atromitos of Athens. Um, but they were both communicated very early on. Um, towards the end of last season, Sturm said, we won't be renewing with these two. So no shocks there. Uh, moving down to Austria-Vienna. Uh, a bit and of this a is the interesting one, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got plenty of business uh, going on here at Austria-Vienna because they're going to look like Lask, aren't they, next season? I wanted to do a joke on Twitter where I posted the new Lask shirt and said it was the Austria-Vienna shirt or something because there's like four players with um, a big Lask connection moving to Austria-Vienna after, of course, Jürgen Werner. He's actually banned by FIFA at the moment and can't work for Austria-Vienna, but soon he will be working for Austria-Vienna and right now he's working in a kind of unofficial capacity and I wonder if it's a surprise then that we've seen Marco Raguse, James Holland, Andreas Gruber and Reinhold Ranftel who didn't move from Lask but used to play for Lask. All of those have come to Austria-Vienna this summer. Busy. It certainly is. Yeah, Raguse is the only one that's come for a fee at 1.3 million euro. Um, but it is, it is interesting that they've managed to find 1.3 million euro because obviously the, the recurrent story with Austria-Vienna is at what point of the season are, of the previous season are they denied a licence for the next campaign? It seems to be a bit of a recurring thing now. They're like the mini Barcelona, aren't they? Mountains of debt, but they're signing players anyway. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> on a, on a, yeah, as you say, on a very different scale. But they uh, had their licence request rejected in the first instance. They then... Uh, appealed to the uh, the appeals committee of the Austrian Bundesliga and they had the license eventually issued but with a I think 20,000 euro fine and a three point deduction for next season reduced from four so they will start as minus at minus three points in the new season yeah uh, what do you think of that though like it's not just fishing out 1.3 mil out of somewhere for Marco Raguz I've read that that might actually have been as high as 1.5 million as well how much of a risk is that? We loved Marco Raguz a couple of years ago at Lask and he was playing great in the league. He was playing great in Europe, got a terrible ACL injury 
Um, they've bought him for sort of potential, haven't they? So, I mean, we're definitely all wishing him well. But what do you think about these transfers? They've brought in Raguz, Tabakovic as well, who was fantastic in the second mm. division last season. Um, it could be a good forward line if it all clicks. It could be. And I think they, they've definitely... Um, Due to their European group stage, which they are 100% confirmed in a group stage, whether Europa League or Conference League, that'll bring a lot of money into the club. And I feel like they've, they've spent the money that they will earn via Europe. Of course, they might qualify from the group as well. Yeah, I think they've, they've spent this money in the summer just because of that. I mean, you mentioned Harris Tabakovic there. I'm very excited for him. Um, he's a 28-year-old striker who, who joined from the other, one of the other Austrias, Austria Lustenau. And uh, his record in Liga Svar is incredible. 45 goals in 46 games. If he, he replicates half of that in the Bundesliga, he'll be a massive hit in, in Favriten. Yeah, I think the top scorer at Austria Vienna last season had seven. So exactly. they, they're in need of an out-and-out centre-forward, for sure. And yes, his age, he's 28 years old, but you know, it doesn't really matter in Bundesliga how old you are. Just look down the league uh, other notable strikers. And yeah, I think uh, he'll be a big success, actually, this season. On the flip side, on the outgoing side, though, I think it is a big, big blow to lose Patrick Pence, who, you know, is establishing himself in the Austria team now. He's shone in that uh, UEFA Nations League game against France. He has left for Stade de Rim in, in France, um, and they have replaced him between the sticks with Christian Frustel, who has been signed from Bayern Munich. So one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I saw him as a young goalkeeper at Bayern Munich. It's a, a good replacement, I suppose. But yes, Patrick Pence was quickly establishing himself, really, as probably arguably the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga so no doubt about it he's a guy who he definitely brought Austria Vienna points last season um, but I like the fact that they're kind of speculating to accumulate I, I mentioned earlier you know losing Vessel de Macchio on a free transfer this was like the latest in a long line of, of players where you think like oh, if only they had enough money to contract these players they could have then sold them for quite a lot of money so it's, it's all very well having good players but if you're losing them constantly on a free you don't make you don't play your way out of debt that way either it just doesn't work so maybe it was the smart call find a couple of million you know what's an extra few million in debt when you're already in debt and weigh that off against the odds of for example if they get into a European group stage and do something like what last did last season, you know these, these figures for, for winning and, and getting a draw in a European group stage, that's like hundreds of thousands of euro per game, which is massive, massive money for the Austrian Bundesliga, where you receive around 2 million euros per club in television rights. So if you can get, as last did, like sort of five times that figure from a decent European run, then suddenly that's how you sell players for more that's how you generate some of that cash back and I, I think it's a worthwhile strategy they may as well give it a go and uh, yeah we'll be keeping our fingers crossed for them in Europe for sure uh, VRT with a team next in the table they actually got more points over the course of the season than Austria Vienna but given the uh, Punkteteilung the halving of the points they finished up in fourth place uh, they would have probably taken it late on in the season mind you because it all got a bit messy between third fourth and fifth how busy have VRT been they've actually brought in Tierno Ballo who was uh, on loan at um uh, Rapid last season and, and honestly didn't have a great deal of impact from uh, Chelsea under 23s. Yeah, he's a player who was seen as almost the, the, the next big thing in Austrian football because he was in Chelsea's youth team, play, playing well, scoring goals for Chelsea's like, at the time under 17s, under 18s. But yeah, now he finds himself at, at Wolfsburg at Atze. Um, it's interesting to see how he, he, he will do. I guess he, he was kind of a bit part player at Rapid, wasn't he? He didn't really get a true chance to shine. Maybe under Robin Dutt at Wolfsburg at 8C, maybe um, he will get the chance to shine. Yeah, elsewhere, Evan Omic coming in uh, from Juve under-19s on a free transfer. That's an interesting one to watch out for. And I guess in terms of outgoings, there's one very, very big one at uh, VRC because 
It happened much earlier in the summer, but Michael Lindel, at 36 years of age, the attacking midfielder who is famous for his insane number of assists in the Austrian Bundesliga and his brilliant wand of a left foot, which scored some fantastic goals over the years. He has uh, left for Grazer Aka, which in terms of romantic transfers, I did like that one. It's a shame. I'd love, love to see him staying in the Bundesliga, but if he's going to leave, it's quite cool to see him go back to, to Grazer Aka. So looking forward to that next season in, in the second division. Yeah, I'm interested to see uh, how they are going to make up and compensate for, for those many, many assists throughout the season because he's, he's bailed them out on a number of occasions. So a, uh, a Michi Lindel-less Wolfsburg will be an interesting one to see. Yeah, I mean, it was widely regarded that he was on the wane last season and wasn't playing so well. But even then, he still delivered quite a lot of assists and chances for his team, even when they were not performing quite well. And yeah... It will, it will be probably a bit of a struggle for them. And I'm sad looking down the list as well to see Kai Stratznig leaving. I thought he's a you know, 20-year-old midfielder who had quite a lot of quality. He's left the club, uh, didn't sign a new deal. But um, yeah, that, that's not a particularly uh, exciting list of ins and outs for me at Wolfsburg. So I've got a few worries there. Um, moving down again to fifth place Rapid, they've got one of the busier ins and outs lists this season. And it's not the most significant one, but you know which one I'm going to start with. Koya Kitagawa has left, guys. I'm sorry. If you're listening in Japan, you can simply turn off now. You don't need to tune in again. He's gone back to Shimizu S-Pulse. Um, yeah, sad. Never quite caught on for him, did it? After scoring the goal against Salzburg and then injuring himself in the uh, celebration, he just never hit those heights again. And now he's gone. Bo- basically, most Rapid fans think he's like the worst signing they've ever had. So, yeah, shame. It, it was a sizable investment, wasn't it? Over a million, you know, at the time. And when you spend that kind of money in Austria and you're not Salzburg, you're really hoping that it's going to make a significant change to your team. I don't think there was any shortage of effort from him there. But every time we went to the Allianz Stadion, we were just willing him to get a goal or, or do something. And occasionally he would do something, but by no means with the consistency required. So it is a shame it hasn't worked out, but he's going back to his, his former club, Shimizu S-Pulse. So all the best to him there. Yeah, elsewhere at Rapid, Robert Lubicic has gone for two and a half mil to Dinamo Zagreb. Um, I thought Lubicic had his potential, but he was also a walking red card for me. He's a guy who lost his head so many times. I would have thought Rapid cashing in for 2.5 million, they'd have been fairly happy with that. And he's probably quite happy to be off at Dinamo Zagreb as well. I'm sorry, but there's only one name that comes into my head when the words walking red card are said. And I think (laughs) you know who I mean. Any guesses? Filip Stojkovic? No, 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 not a rapid player. Oh, not a rapid player. No. Walking red card in, in the Austrian Bundesliga, yes. are we talking about? Yes. Turgay Gamici Bassi? Yes. <laughs> who, who, who has been loaned out to Kashim Pasha in Turkey. No. Um, <laughs> so now there will be significantly fewer red cards next season. But, but so back. Austria Klagenfurt might actually finish with 11 men on the field for, uh, for half of their games. Yeah, this occasionally. Season, yeah. Yeah. yeah, back to Rapid. Busy, busy times at Rapid. They did sign Ferdi Droif in the end. It was a bit of a, a drawn-out affair, but Droif... Big, tall Dutch centre-forward, um, came over on loan from AZ Alkmaar. They've made that signing complete. Guido Burgstaller back. He's been out at Cardiff since he last played for Rapid. He's been at Nuremberg. He's, you know, he's played in England, he's played in Germany, well, Wales, I suppose, and in Germany. And now, uh, quite a few years later, I think he left Rapid in 2014, and now he's back in 2022. Yeah, he played in the Cup at the weekend, and it was 2,988 days since his last game for Rapid, so that's quite some gap 
before he's uh, completed the circle. But a uh, big centre forward also with Bundesliga experience. You know, he's played, I think, 140 games and got something like 30 goals and 12 assists. I say it, that's a very specific number for me to say it like I'm guessing, but this is something I read a long time ago. But I think it's about right. But anyway, a healthy number of goals and assists in his Bundesliga record. So uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, that one, bringing him in for half a mil from St. Pauli. A couple of transfers from within the league uh, for Rapid, which have stood out to me. Uh, Patrick Grail, I thought was very good for Austria Klagenfurt last season. And Roman Kirschbaum, who was Admira's sort of go-to rescuer on many occasions with his, with his set pieces and penalties, um, has, has signed as well. So there's a couple of players to strengthen the midfield. Ante Bayec as well, Reed's best player by, by many metrics. Um, so another one, they, they, they've done well in recent seasons at poaching good players from inside the league. Because if you look... Their best player last year was Marco Grill as well, also a player poached from, from within the Bundesliga. So other Austrian teams will probably be getting a bit frustrated at these, these free transfers to the capital. I was going to say, Tom, it looks very similar to last season's uh, Rapid Vienna incomings as well. But um, yeah, I mean, for them, I, I, you know, getting free transfers from t- top players from some of the smaller teams in the league, I think it's a sensible strategy. And on paper, they all look like they could be successes, but we know with Rapid... It's kind of a 50-50 thing, is it, sometimes? So, But I think on paper, it, it looks like a very good summer. Uh, Michael Solbauer as well, mm-hmm. coming back. He's a guy who did great things at VRT, went off to play in England uh, in the championship as well. I, th- I know he's another one of the, the austria Barnsley connection, Michael Solbauer. I think that's a smart move, bringing him in on a free from Dynamo Dresden. I like that. I, I like what they've done this year. I-, I hope it all sort of clicks for them, but they've been very busy. Ferdinand Feldhoff has been uh, very active um, and we saw at the end of last season how many good young players Rapid had coming through. Really, so many good young players. And it's no surprise then, to me at least, that they have offered a lot of those young players uh, deals with the first team. So you've got Dragolub Savic, Rene Krivak, uh, Nicholas Binder, and um, Aristo Tambui Kasengele, who's 18 years of age, centre-back, very, very highly regarded. People are watching out for him. Still very, very raw at the moment, uh, Tambui Kasengele. But... Uh, exciting players to watch, I think. This is, a, this is a young and exciting Rapid squad. And if it all works out for them, it could be good. They've lost uh, Kelvin Arase as well. They've lost Leo Grimal, which is unfortunate. I wanted Leo Grimal to stay a bit longer, but he's gone to Schalke. Can't really blame him. Free transfer though as well. Yeah, it's a shame. He would have been worth a lot if they could have tied him down to a new contract. I think they could have got a few mil for him. Um, but yeah, they've lost a lot of good players, but they've brought in... Uh, yeah, As I said, they've been very active. So interesting to see what they do because they struggled in the cup. And uh, they've got European football coming up very, very soon. So they'll be put to the test before long. Uh, Let's do Austria Klagenfurt, uh, who finished sixth last season. And then we'll take a quick break before we look at some of the other transfers. The one that stands out to me at Austria Klagenfurt is, of course, Andy Irving. Only 22 years old, played for Hearts before in Scotland. Then Turkgucci Munich, um, who've had a bit of a, well, more than a bit of a turbulent fate in uh, recent months. But I'm just excited to see a Scott in the other Bundesliga. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so, Tom. <laughs> For you, certainly. <laughs> Not quite sharing that uh, enthusiasm anyway. But yeah, Andy Irving, yeah, he stands out to me. Anyone else? They've brought in Vernitznik from VRT. Experienced at 32 years old. Smart move, I guess, if you can get him on a free transfer. Why not? Anyone else that stands out to you in or out there from, from uh, Austria Klangfurt? Mostly the outs, to be honest. Uh, Alex Timossi Anderson returning to Bayern Munich too after his loan. He was very good, very lively up front last season. Um, so he'll be a loss. And then we've mentioned as well, walking red card, Turgay Gamichi, Gamichi Bazzi uh, has, has left on loan. Uh, Patrick Grail to Rapid, Raiko Reps left as well. So there's, a, there's, there's quite a few notable outgoings there for me. Gamichi Bazzi to Kashim Passa is like 
that's a classic football manager move. You, I can see it happening. It's, it's just it's just right somehow. It's just very satisfying. And on that note, um, we'll leave it there for the transfers of the top six. We'll pick out a few selected from the bottom six after this very short break. Oh, okay. That was a um, it was a deep transfer roundup from the top six. So many, uh, so many ins and outs to talk about there from the top six. What about the bottom six? Who has stood out to you from any of the bottom six clubs? Because obviously, uh, unsurprisingly, with the budgets that you've got, uh, you've got to be a bit creative when you're a bottom six manager in the Austrian Bundesliga, especially VSG Tirol, who did very well to finish seventh last season. But, you know, they're working with almost no money, aren't they, really? So who's done well? Well, for me, I just want to pick out something early because we mentioned the fact that, that Andy Irving has joined the league, Austria Klagenfurt, but the only English player in the Bundesliga has left the league. Rennie Smith has left VSG Tirol, which uh, we'll, we'll always remember that winner against Rebel Salzburg for yeah. Rennie Smith. Uh, it all went south after that, didn't it, really, for Rennie Smith, sadly? There are a few guarantees in Austrian football, aren't there? You know, Salzburg to win the league, Salzburg to win the cup. They're mostly centred around <laughs> Salzburg. But another guarantee in the Austrian Bundesliga is that VSG Tirol will loan a forward from an Italian club. They've done it with Giacomo Vrioni last summer and Nicolo Baden Fredriksen the summer before. This summer they have loaned from Sampdoria Nick Preliac, not sure if I've pronounced that right, Prelets, um, from, yeah, as I say, from Sampdoria. He was playing on loan in the uh, Slovenian Prova Liga, uh, <laughs> the top flight in Slovenia last season. Uh, his figures didn't look great, though. I think he only scored one or two goals, so that's a bit of a gamble. But, but if he can live up to the, the, the billing of, of those who uh, preceded him, then they'll be on, a, on the right track. He's definitely got big shoes to fill, but you can see why clubs want to loan their players out to VSG. Because, uh, you know, they've done wonders with Baden Fredriksen and with uh, Vrioni as well. Vrioni was joint top scorer in the league last year. He won the golden boot. Amazing stuff. Um, in terms of signings who sound good, Lautaro Rinaldi, Argentinian-Italian centre-forward, coming in from uh, Aldo Civi in Argentina. I mean, he's, he's the best-sounding player in the Bundesliga. If you ask me, which Bundesliga player sounds like they won a World Cup? It's Lautaro Rinaldi, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I definitely think he's the best sounding transfer. Uh, fingers crossed that he lives up to the billing, or my billing anyway, because his transfer mark value is 50,000. So, you know, he can't have a particularly amazing record behind him, but who knows, maybe this is the start of that figure rocketing up. Talking of 50,000, I think that's the number of players that Lask are recalling from various loans. <laughs> there, there is a, a lengthy, lengthy list there. Uh, Christoph Monshine coming back from Altac and then joining r local rivals Reed is one that, that stood out to me. Um, but there are, there are other players as well. The Peruvian, Matias Suka, who we really haven't seen much of. He was loaned to Czech side. Uh, Teplice, he's back as well. Um, and there are, there are a few others. So I think they've got some players coming back that I'm not necessarily sure they'll want, but, but for now they're there. I think it's going to be a bit awkward, actually, for VSG thinking of them, because they've lost Rioni, but they've also lost Sabitzer, who's gone. He's one of those many Lask Loney recalls. Um, but, you know, Vioni and Savitzer, Savitzer were the, the whole front line, really, for VSG last year. Um, so that's going to be a bit tough for them to get over it. The one that catches my eye there is Andres Andrade, because I thought he was fantastic for Lask. I was surprised that they let him go on loan to Arminia Bielefeld. I don't really know why that happened. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs. Maybe there was a good reason for it. But then he played really well also at Arminia Bielefeld, I think. He certainly showed what he can do. And this is a Panamanian defender. And I, I really like him. I'm glad to see that he's coming back. Well, so as far as I understand, uh, Andres Andrade is going permanently to Armenia, having been on loan there. 
ah, oh, I'm sad again now, Lee. <laughs> I just, I saw that he'd been recalled from the loan and I was getting all hopeful because I thought he was a great player. And uh, no, they've recalled him and sold him. Fair enough. They made a bit of cash at least, I guess. Or did, did they even make cash? Am I lying about that? Is it a free transfer? Uh, I don't have that. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. know. We don't ah. know. Ah, so farewell, Andres Andrade. <laughs> I, was, I was getting my hopes up. On the topic of Lask, in the rumour section of the La Ola Ainz article I'm looking at, uh, Alex Schlager being linked with Red Bull Salzburg, who, as we know, didn't really have someone who established themselves as a definitive number one last season. That would be, that'd be a, a return home for him, wouldn't it, as a Salzburg boy? would be interesting. That's a rumour that's been persistent for the last sort of four years in Austria, so I'll believe it when I see it. But, yeah, I mean, it's a rumour because it sort of makes sense. But he also started his career at Salzburg as well. So as there's a lot of players exactly, fair, exactly. <laughs> I mean uh, speaking about uh, incoming for Lask I guess I'm the one to say this name uh, they've brought in Ephemios Kularis from Atremitos for a cool 1 million euros he's a centre forward 26 years old we'll see how he does I mean uh, they obviously ha- uh, rate him highly because that's you know 1 million euros in the Austrian Bundesliga isn't nothing to sniff at is it so Greek fans get excited but how can Lask cope with all of their, like, you know, a lot of their best players are actually playing in purple next season. For real though, like really, like Andreas Gruber, I think when he wasn't injured was a really good threat on the wings as well. Um, James Holland, yeah, he's also a little bit of a walking red card to be fair, but a uh, very, you know, tough tackling midfielder, solid holding midfielder, a lot of experience. Won the Bundesliga before with Austria Vienna. What, what are they going to do with all of those players um, at their league rivals next season? Yeah, interesting that former Rapid Vienna manager as well, the Didi Kuba, is, is uh, sold them all to Austria, Wien. So, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> quite a funny uh, turn of events there. I'm intrigued to see how Kuba does uh, with last next season. I think it's going to be a very interesting, interesting one to watch. For me, I think he is just one of the least inspiring managers, <laughs> not just in Austrian, but in global football. I just don't, <laughs> I, just, global I just don't think he, like, I have no feeling that he has any kind of definitive style. He's just angry as the just, style. Yeah, just anger management. Well, no management. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anger manager. literally because he's the manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, is he more or less inspiring than Franco Foda? Okay, you've, you, you, I mean, you can't really go much lower. Franco Foda, who in his first, or one of at least one of his first games in charge of uh, uh, reigning Swiss champions, FC Zurich lost 4-0 to uh, young boys. Ah, Foda. <laughs> Franco Foda absolutely catching strays on this episode of the other Bundesliga, by the way. He's a necessary sideswipe at Franco Foda. But um, yeah, no, you're right. I think it's difficult to see how this angry style sort of gets a good mood in the team and results. Who knows? The rest of the league, the most exciting one overall for me in the rest of the league is the fact that Miroslav Klose is now the manager of Altac. I mean, top that, somebody. Top that. Or tell me something about it. <laughs> it's a pretty incredible um, turn of events, really. I mean, having such a legendary player, of course, a World Cup winner, just come to Altac without any rumour beforehand that he was going. He just rocked up on the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the latest in a, in a bit of a line of German legends coming to manage in Austria. We've got uh, Klose, Christian Zieger, Karsten Janka at uh, Leoben. So there's, there's a few of them now. And uh, I'm interested to see how Miroslav Klose will do. Did anyone else bring anyone in or, or, or lose anybody that, uh, that is particularly notable for you? So uh, I'm looking at uh, the incomings and outgoings of Altak Reed. Hartberg and uh, Austria Luster now and I don't really see anything notable from most of you. Ryan Teixeira who was on loan uh, at Luster now last season has been brought in on a permanent free transfer. Um, apart from that nothing really that catches the eye but I'm sure uh, at least one or two of these players will be you know, people we will, we will talk about in the season. Well we'll see. <laughs> Hartberg if 
got uh, Albert AUP from Helsingborg in Sweden. I'm just excited to have Swedish players in the other uh, Bundesliga as well because he might well be an English speaker. So that, that's good. <laughs> that gives us a chance to potentially interview somebody a bit more easily. That's nice. Define the phrase clutching at straws in an Austrian football context. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Shall we move on from the transfer window then and uh, talk about the cup? Yes. All right, let me play a bit of a jingle then and uh, we'll call it the OFB Cup jingle because we'll come back with some information about round one of the cup. So we've talked women's football, we've talked Bundesliga transfers, ins and outs, OFB Cup round one. That was the beginning of the competitive season here in Austria. And it happened uh, the weekend just gone as we as we record this. We've just come off the back of three days of uh, cup knockout football. Quite an exciting way to start the season, really. There were no ties that massively excited us, in fairness. There were no huge clashes drawn in, the, in round one. But it started off being... A very chaotic draw because what's supposed to happen in round one is that the draw is made so that teams don't have to travel so far you always go away to a lower league team but it should be quite close and there was a whole mess with the draw they tried to do it on tv <laughs> this is really funny actually it's like classic austrian football banter so they tried to do it on tv they made a really complicated and convoluted draw system the tv hosts were trying to both do the draw and explain the draw whilst obviously they had somebody in their ear being like guys uh we've got like two minutes until the next program starts. Like you need to speed this up, but they've got like, you know, a huge number of ties. They had like 32 ties to get through. So they ended up being like, and now some new balls need to go in here. And oh no, take those out of there. I think the wrong one's gone in there. We need to put them in there. It was a total shambles, but it was live on TV and they couldn't change it. So it had to be what it was. So for the local round one of the cup where you don't travel, we had several ties where teams had to travel like four, five, six hour distances. You had like Vorarlberg teams playing in Vienna and so on. You know, it was like as bad as it possibly could have been geographically, basically. Yeah, I'm looking at Austria Klagenfurt with their trip to Admira Dornbirn here. Massive. I, I think a, a club from Vorarlberg had to play Elektra Vienna as well. So it was mm-hmm. like... Altac. Yeah, Altac. So it was, a, it, it was really a bit of a chaos. And, and uh, Rapid Vienna also had to go to Klagenfurt, uh, sorry, to Corinthia to play their first round game. So uh, chaos. But at the end of the chaos, chaos in the pub here as well, in, in the long haul, don't know, what, don't know what's happened there. They're looking around. Everyone seems to be all right. Um, chaos in round one. But at the end of the chaos, a rare feat all 12 Bundesliga teams made it through unscathed. Interesting. Any results that, that popped out to you? Um, not necessarily results because we fully expected the Salzburg cut machine to roll over yet another opponent. But I was watching the, the highlights of this game on ORF, the state broadcaster, and there was a lovely moment which really shouted Summer Cup vibes, vibes with a Z uh, to me. And that was uh, Fugen losing 3-0 to Salzburg, but their goalie, Patrick Schistel, giving a a half-time interview. Huge smile plastered on his face. He'd made a massive clangor for the opening goal, and he just said to the camera, well, you know, world-class goalies make mistakes, so I think it's okay for an amateur one like me to make one too. And then went out (laughs) and had an absolute barnstorming second half, making some great saves as well. So I really enjoyed that. Explain that to fans elsewhere as well. Half-time interviews, by the way. Like, you're on your way down the tunnel and they grab you and they're like, come on, give us a word. (laughs) It's so weird, isn't it? Fair play. It is pretty odd, but it is the cut first round. It's it's meant to be, like, for the community. I mean, um, so Rapid Vienna had a very tough game at OLSK Tribach. Only winning 1-0 with Guido Bergschalas going in the 91st minute. And if you're a Rapid Vienna fan... 94th even. Even later. And uh, if you're a Rapid Vienna fan, uh, you know... (laughs) 
you must have been watching that game against a team from the third division. I mean, SK Tribeca, I mean, I'm sure. You know, amateur team, you know. <laughs> amateur team. Honourable amateur team. Just to scrape by with a 1-0 win, it's not the most inauspicious start to the season for uh, Ferdinand Feldhoff and his boys. Yeah, and Burgstaller said in the post-match interview that, you know, es lag an unsere Chancenverwertung, like it was down to our chance conversion. But I was thinking, I don't really remember seeing that many chances in this game, to be honest. So I think it might, the problems might run a little bit deeper when they run the, uh, the post-match analysis. It makes me a little bit nervous to see that. You know, we talked about all their signings and everything. They've been very, very busy. And yet, yet to see them scrape to a 1-0 win against Treibach in Cup Round 1, it's, it's not the start that you need, is it? They took quite a few fans down there, fair play to them. Um, but they, yes, needed a long time to get the reward. And a little moment in that game as well. Guido Burgstaller scored in injury time against a goalkeeper who'd had a very good day. And that goalkeeper used to play with Guido Burgstaller in youth football. So a little uh, moment of connection there. Can I touch on a, another connection in another game? And that would be Austria Klagenfurt's 8-1 thrashing of Admira Dornbirn. And this was a real monumental moment for, for Admira Dornbirn because it was their first game against a Bundesliga club in 43 years. And in that game 43 years ago, they lost 11-0 to FC Tyrol with six goals scored by Peter Packel, who is now Austria Klagenfurt's head coach. So that was a, a nice full circle there. Amazing, amazing. Other teams with big wins, uh, Lask. Their chance creation, their chance conversion, sorry, last year, last season, was like the stuff of scientific marvel because they created so many chances and they, they had by far and away the worst um, goals to XG ratio. It was, it was unbelievable. You know, if it was like on a graph, they're like the dot that's way, way, way below the line. Um, you're wondering how they've managed that. But uh, I guess good start to the season for them because they're playing against Schwartz, who are, you know, Schwartz are a reasonably tough team, to be fair. And, uh, to go away there and win 9-1 on the opening day of the Cup. You can't argue with that. Actually, it wasn't the best start because they were 1-0 down in the first minute of the game. <laughs> and then 1-9-1. So in the end, it all worked out. But I'm sure there was a few looks around the bench after the goal in the first minute. <laughs> it's going to be a long season. Oh, no, it's not. It's 9-1. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, any other teams that got some big wins? Austria-Vienna, 7-0. That's pretty big. Sturm as well. They, they, got a, they had another long journey, didn't they? But... Uh, came up with some goals yeah after four years of doing this podcast there aren't too many team names that I've never heard of before but Ruffix Rutties I have literally never heard of them where are they from <laughs> it has to be Vorarlberg with that name doesn't it Lee if you remember that's the place in Vorarlberg that had the the over 30s night out oh the one that we tragically missed the one that we tragically missed oh. yeah see it's all full circle it always goes back to that Vorarlberg trip you yeah. know <laughs> oh scenes but yeah 6-0 in there they actually um, they're, they're part of the, the Vorarlberger Elite League I think so um, not, not a bad team but uh, yeah beating 6-0 by Sturm in the cup but everyone got through I just can't believe it normally there's one straggler in the Bundesliga that, that gets knocked out Austria listen I got close they were forced to struggle to a 3-2 win against FC Marschfeld uh, Altac won 3-1 Hartberg won 2-1 so not everybody dominated but everyone got through nonetheless yeah Hartberg were a goal down as well um, that is um Carsten Jankers, Leoben that they were against, but they managed to come back relatively quickly. We've seen a few surprises in the last few years. Didn't we have uh, first Vienna knocking out Altac last season? And I think before that, uh, Hartberg might have gone out in, in the first round. So we were expecting perhaps perhaps one surprise, but not to be this year. First Vienna went out on penalties as well. They conceded a 121st minute equaliser and then lost on penalties. So that was a, a heartbreaking one for first Vienna. If we were expecting or, or hoping for some uh, cup upsets at the Hall of Arta again this season there will not be any uh, sadly for us here in Vienna um, should we move down to the European Cup action 
because uh, I mean we'll be hoping for the round two draw that there'll be some more exciting games that's obviously more likely to happen when you get closer second third round and so on uh, first round was it, it was what it was it's all over all the Bundesliga teams are through but what about the ones who are looking ahead to Conference League, Europa League or Champions League action? Because a few of the draws have been made uh, on the day of recording, actually, in terms of teams finding out their opponents. One who already knew their opponents were SK Rapid, of course, who are playing Lechia Gdansk this very week in the first of the, uh, of the sort of big European knockout ties involving Austrian teams in the qualifiers. I'm a little bit nervous for them after that 1-0 win against Treibach. And now they've got Lechia Gdansk. That... Um, it was a very turbulent tie that got Lechia Gdansk through. There was a, about a 45-minute delay, I think, with fan violence. Two, two mm-hmm. sets of Lechia Gdansk fans, two fan sectors, like, fought against each other and sort of caused the match to be delayed. So uh, great news that they're going to be travelling to the Allianz <laughs> this Thursday and we'll be there for that. That'll be fun. Yeah, looking at the, uh, the teams in that draw, I mean, Lechia Gdansk it probably doesn't get much tougher than that for Rapid. And uh, after their very slow start to the season... You know, playing in a game, no, no doubt. I mean, Lekki Gdansk have a 40,000 seat stadium, um, a very, I mean, a very, um, I don't know what, what word to use, but a very active fan base. So, uh, you know, Violent, active, sorry. active <laughs> fan base. So, uh, no, that's a very, very, very tough game. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not expecting them to roll them over, that's for sure. It's, uh, they, they're going to have to get a job done there over two legs against Lekia. Not easy. If they get through, they get. Aris Limassol or Nefchi Baku. And I've noticed something. When you read the Austrian papers or the Austrian websites, at least, th- this word machbar comes up a lot, like doable, I suppose, in, in literal terms. And it's like, that's used to describe a draw, a favourable draw, quite a lot. But I feel like the Austrian media overuses that massively. I look up anything that's like, ah, machbar Gegner, like a, a winnable tie, basically. And then you look at who the tie is and you think... Is it? Like, would you describe that as winnable? Like, I mean, it's winnable in the sense that any football match is technically a winnable football match. But I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that term as often or as liberally as the media over here do. I think that rapid Lechia tie is literally a 50-50. I could thoroughly imagine, imagine either team going through from that. So that will be, I mean, potentially by the time you listen to this podcast, that, that game is on Thursday the 21st. So uh, that may well be over the first leg at least. But I think uh, it will be a tough one. Yeah, we'll be covering that on uh, at other Bundesliga on Twitter, of course. We'll be there at the stadium for uh, what will be my first competitive game of the summer. I know none of us made it to a round one cup game, did we? No, I'll be going to first Vienna's uh, first Liga 2 game the next day. But you, you will beat me. You will kick us off officially for the for the start of the season. Um, VRT, they've had their draw. They're not coming into the European qualifiers till a bit later in the uh, Conference League. They're, they're, they're a round ahead of Rapid, aren't they? So if Rapid get through, they've got Aris or Nefji Baku. VRT are already through because um, of the uh, seedings or you know because their league position finish anyway. They've got Gaziri United of Malta or Radnitsky Nish of Serbia. I don't really know what to make of that. I would say it's, it's winnable. I mean, if I was a travelling away fan, I'd probably prefer Gaziri United because their stadium's right on the sea. But uh, Radnici Nice have a European pedigree. They reached a UEFA Cup semi-final in 1982, losing to Hamburg. So maybe they will repeat that this season. But obviously we don't want them to. <laughs> I would just like to pitch in there and say that after Tom talking about how the Austrian media overused the word winnable, <laughs> that was the first thing you described this tie as. It's a, win- it's a winnable tie. <laughs> Again, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, look at what VRT have done in Europe the last few years. I can't believe it. If they go through, then they've, they've got like no chance of being seeded, basically, which I'm a little bit surprised at. I know they haven't obviously got the most 
uh, the biggest or the longest European history. But nonetheless, in the last couple of years, they've gone through a couple of Europa League group stages. How are they so low down on UEFA ranking points? I'm not actually quite sure. But um, nonetheless, yeah, fingers crossed for them against Gaziri United or Radnitsky Nice. These games are all coming up really soon, by the way. Everything's in early August here, and we're recording in uh, sort of mid to late July. So these ties are going to come very, very quickly. Uh, Sturm Graz. They've got another one that was described as Machbar, and even uh, the easiest possible it was described as in uh, one of the websites that, that, that I was looking at earlier. And I was thinking, oh, great, a, a nice easy draw for Sturm. And I looked at it, and it was Dynamo Kiev or Fenerbahce. And I was like, uh, okay, in what world is that uh, a game where Sturm are going to be the big favourites? I, I don't see it myself, but I'm not saying it's not, not doable for them because they're a good team themselves. But Sturm and, and Austria have been... Uh, let's say, a bit flat in Europa League or European qualifying in, in recent seasons, haven't they? Oh, I mean, what I would say about those two potential opponents is I can see where the media are, are coming from uh, when, they, when they say that it is doable. If you look at those, Fenerbahce had a pretty torrid season last season, as did all of Istanbul's big three, uh, as Trabzonspor won their first title in, I think, 38 years. Dinamo Kiev, of course, haven't had a season. They've been playing friendlies to raise money for the war. Uh, the Ukrainian Premier League is, is supposed to be resuming in August with all games played. Uh, in, I think, Kiev or Lviv with air raid sirens present at the game. Uh, but obviously that's not been the best preparation for them. So I can see maybe why, that, why that's being said. Yeah, fair enough. The other, like, p- other potential opponents, I think, were like sort of Monaco, Rangers, etc. So, yeah, fair enough. Okay, Dynamo Kiev or, or Fenerbahce? Uh, a, you know, big, big tie that, nonetheless. There's b- big names for Sturm to play against. And, if, and the ironic thing is, is that Fenerbahce played two preseason friendlies at the home of, of, of Sturm Graz. Um, so mm. they are familiar with, with, with the Merkur Arena. Insider information they've picked up there. Correct. Interesting stuff. Um, Do you think that like you and Simon, they will ever get locked inside the Merkur Arena? <laughs> never let that go. That was, that's so weird. Austrian football is so strange sometimes. Like You think it's easy to know where to go. It, it's just not. Sometimes the stadiums are just not signposted in the way that you'd like and one thing a common theme amongst Austrian Bundesliga stadia if, if you're listening to this official Austrian Bundesliga or any of the teams therein what is the deal with the, the Stadion Ordner like the stewards the security staff the ground staff they never ever know where anything is at an Austrian stadium if you ask them they never ever know also it's, it ref, it's reflective of Austrian culture in general I'm interested to see what the Austrians think of this I've noticed if you ask for a product in a supermarket here as well they never, ever know what products you mean. They never know where it could be. They've, they never know, basically. And I find that a bit weird. But it's the same in the stadium. It's like, where's the media entrance? There's a media entrance? Yes. Uh, where's the media seats? Uh, don't know. It's like, you're the steward for the area where the media seats are. How do you not know where they are? It's like, okay, I'll just, I'll work it out myself. And that's how you get locked in with a bunch of police behind you um, in like a, <laughs> in, in a sort of closed corridor of the Merkur Arena. Yeah, and we should just add, we do always ask whether the median Eingang is like in German. So there's no like language barrier here. They just don't know where to send you. And it is, yeah. you know, you have to go to each ground once, don't you? And just learn it for yourself for the future. And, yeah, and basically. Then, then, then you know where you're going. Often what you've got to do as well is be like, can I pick up my accreditation here? No. And say, I, I'm pretty sure I actually know that this is the place <laughs> where I can pick up my accreditation. I'm, I'm not going to ask you whether I can anymore. I need to say give me my accreditation and they say yeah okay because yeah quite often again like you say no language barrier but uh, there's some some weird understanding things um before we finish up for episode one of the other bundesliga for the brand new season i wanted to talk about something that popped up in the media the last few days 
And it was managers in the Bundesliga being quizzed on whether the league format is unfair because this is a new topic every, at the start of every season. And basically, most of the managers were sort of saying, they're like, I'm not whining because it is the format, but it's an unfair format and it, it doesn't work. To, to what extent do you think that's true? Because I'm thinking like all the clubs signed off on this, you know? Like every, everybody, nobody's forcing the clubs to do this league format. So you've got the 12, 12 team format, splits after 22 games into a top six and a bottom six, points are halved and you've got a top six championship round, you've got a bottom six fighting to avoid relegation. It's controversial, yes, but like, is it unfair? Is it stupid? I don't think it's unfair per se, but um, obviously the, the, this, this whole decision was made to try and make the title competitive and it's had the opposite effect because Salzburg become absolute machines in the final 10 games of the season but at the bottom of the table the the impact is more you know it, it's more felt because every point matters there and you have you've had occasions where teams if it was a full season would have actually survived but then got relegated instead La- last season like last a- season Admira would have stayed up if it was full points and the, the European placings would have been different as well exactly I mean, to put this into context for any new listeners, essentially what their problem with this is, is the fact that because the points are halved, games in the second half of the season are essentially worth twice as much because you get the full three points. But it's like any rule change in football. There are teams at the moment that are getting knocked out of Europe, but they would have gone through on away goals. This is simply the format that's, that's been signed off. I quite like it. Obviously, I think part of the reason for introducing it was because they wanted to keep Salzburg from from powering off so far into the distance. In that sense, it's not really working. But I like this kind of home straight, this final part of the season. Um, I think most of the uh, the complaints you, you hear about it are from, from teams down the bottom um, as a potential excuse if they, if they don't stay up. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't really pull back. You can't expect suddenly that Salzburg aren't going to win the league. And if you did, if, if this tripped up Salzburg, every couple of years of course it'd be exciting for us and new winners that would be great but then you'd say it's sort of wrong if this is if this format's the only thing which consistently tripped Salzburg up it would be a little bit weird too um and I don't mind I feel like everyone's in the same boat everyone knows about it it does make the European race very exciting at the end of the season you know Rapid were in a commanding position last season and slipped off at the end uh, Altac did the opposite they were dead and buried and they came back strongly but I always feel like with these things if you complain too much it's like you know Admira still had games to play themselves they had the power themselves to just win a couple of games and, and, and fire themselves to safety, and they didn't do it. Yeah, like for Admira, if they'd won their penultimate game of the season against Altac, they would, would have been fine, but they lost. And then, and then you know, it's, uh, yeah, the complaints are normally from the bottom of the table. There's more of an effect, but I don't think it's unfair. But it's just a bit of a weird system. Yeah, most and, of the And managers. at least it's not what's happening in Switzerland, which is that they're having an end-of-season playoff uh, to, to, to see who wins the title. So... As long, I mean, if Austria started, I mean, it would make for a very exciting. I mean, imagine, <laughs> you're talking yourself around. As, as actually, you said, at yeah, least it's I, not that. Yeah, but actually, I, I mean, that sounds quite good. Actually, I mean, if it meant that you know there, there, there was a two-game thing where Salzburg might lose the title. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be closed off to new ideas, but essentially, that's the cup, isn't it? Like a league is a league, and the cup is the cup. And I think that how's be- that going, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Well, Salzburg won every single cup. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, and uh, sure, sure, it would be exciting. But I, I, I think I would understand Salzburg's complaints if they're like, "You're literally just doing this so that we might not win it." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sort of. It's it's not a perfect format, but sort of name a better one. And at least it is bringing some excitement, I suppose, to to races at the bottom and the top of the table you know it keeps things uh, spannend as I'd say here it keeps things exciting until late on in the season um, talking about the top six the bottom six 
if I guess we're going to say, given the power of Salzburg last season and the signings they've made, they're going to be the overwhelming favourites to win the title again this season. Matthias Chesler was very diplomatic, as he said. It's going to be a very, very hard title fight this year. I think he had almost a bit of a smirk on his face as he said that. Um, if they're going to be the favourites. We've seen different teams get into Europe, different teams get into the Champions League the last few years, or the qualifiers at least. We've seen a different, smaller team uh, reach the top six in every one of the years since the league split happened. So let's have a few predictions. Who's going to surprise us this season and, and perhaps who's going to underwhelm? Are we going to see the likes of Last bounce back after a difficult season or is it going to be another year in the bottom six for them perhaps? I don't think Last will get into the bottom six. I think they'll be back in the top six. I think uh, Austria and Sturm will come second and third again. Not sure in what order. I'm predicting Lustenau to be our surprise package Ooh. for the top six. And I'm predicting Hartberg to go down as much as I don't want them to. Okay. I don't think Lily knew this, but you pretty much got all of my predictions there as well. Um, yeah, Hartberg to go down. I just don't like the look of them. But saying that, Hartberg always find a way, don't they? They always find a way. <laughs> um, I, I think Austria Klagenfurt might get top six again. And it, in regards to the European spots pretty much Rapid, Austria Wien, Lask, uh, um, Graz. You might as well flip, throw a blanket over them. Well, not throw a blanket over them, but like, just throw them out because I, I don't know what positions that they'll be in. It's going to be a very, very uh, think, tight race. I do think Sturm was strong last season and I think they've continued that. They haven't meddled with the format too much. I think Sturm are going to be strong again this season, basically. Uh, I think Rapid are a bit up in the air for me at the moment. Austria, Vienna, if it's in terms of like how active they've been in terms of bringing in good players, then... Yeah, you'd have to think that they've strengthened quite a lot this season. They've obviously got more fronts to fight on, but I think they're looking quite good. Lask, I'm a bit concerned about Lask. I don't think they've massively improved after what was a very difficult season last year. Um, I'm worried about Austria Lister now as well. I, I feel like all they've got really going for them is their Bundesliga promotion uh, momentum, but they've and, lost Tabakovic. And their Twitter admin. And a great Twitter admin, yes. Really good shout before we finish this pod <laughs> because I mean, if we're talking, let's not take, talk league tables. Let's talk, let's talk Twitter league tables. Oh, They're nice. strong favourites for the title here, aren't they? For like best, best Bundesliga Twitter account. They're right up there. I've noticed that the Salzburg English account has definitely become more like they're throwing out a lot of jokes and etc. over the last few weeks. A bit less. So I, I, think, I, think there might, I think there might have been a change of admin, which is the most important move of the season, I think. And then <laughs> there might have been a change of admin at Salzburg. I don't know that for sure. Though. Biggest transfer of the yeah. season. <laughs> Salzburg admin to, uh, to, to yeah. uh, humorous admin on the English account. Yeah, well, it's a two-horse race then between Austria, Lustenau and... Uh, as Salzburg, I guess. I mean, Altac, the Altac admin did also invite us to go for a walk and we, did, and we didn't see it. So oh, there's also that as well. Yeah. I mean, so uh, like an honorary third for the, for the Altac admin. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the two guys that run the, the Altac admin, very nice, yeah. very nice guys. So thank you very much for the, the free beer uh, back in May and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Yes, looking forward to it. Um, any final predictions for like individual players who, who might stand out at their new clubs or at their uh, former clubs, or, you know, their old clubs as well? I think Patrick Greel will be one of the sensations of the season for Rapid Vienna. Big call. Didi Kubel to be involved in a touchline fight. Oh, nice. Oh, what's mine now then? I don't know what to say. I can't top that. I'm fine with those. <laughs> something, something related to Austria Klagenfurt now being the most disciplined team in the league after Gimici Bazzi left. <laughs> Austria, Vienna, uh, Austria Klagenfurt not to have any red cards by Christmas. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. I like it. Well, I think uh, that just about concludes 
our first episode of the new season of the Other Bundesliga podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks very much for being here at the Long Hall Pub and Kitchen, Lee and Simon. It has been an absolute pleasure once again. Uh, my voice has just about made it through this pod. I'm really excited to get this one on the airwaves and uh, get back into podcasting. I hope, but I won't promise, that we can be back uh, a little more frequently this season, uh, recording pods, having a good time and talking all things Austrian football. We'll definitely be back once the European season is underway and uh, the Bundesliga is underway too. Thanks a lot for listening and uh, goodbye from us here at the Long Hall. Goodbye. Goodbye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's extremely helpful to us. We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Bundesliga. Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Geber Studios for this lovely music and also to the Gentleman Creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.